0: Today we're going to be looking at this thing, the perfect life, the perfect life, Uh, is this just a dream? The perfect life, a dream. What do we dream of in actual fact when we say the perfect life? There's a number of things that come to mind. Is it this idea of no work? Is it this idea of always on holiday? That type of thing. Is it the perfect home? The house that's got the swimming pool in one of the rooms. Uh, The house that's got all sorts of things. Big gardens. Is it the fact that we want to have lots of food whenever we want, whatever type of food always available for us? Is it that we want to have designer clothes? Is it that we want to have the perfect wife The perfect husband, the perfect children, the wonderful car. I don't know, what is it that makes up what you would think is the perfect life? Wow, that's what I'm going for. That's what I'd like to have. What would you say is our perfect life? And you know what? I think it actually depends upon your age because things change according to age. And if you're an eight-year-old, then you're asked the same question. Then your perfect life may be very different from that of a 38-year-old or a 78-year-old. We all have different views, according to where we are in life, of what we think perfection would be, of what we think it should look like. But you know what, I think the perfect life, in what I've just been talking about, really, it's just a dream. And often it's the sort of dream that we go into when we're sort of finding things tough. So things are tough in my life at the moment, so I start to think, well, oh, if only I could have this, if I had that, then everything would be wonderful, then that would be the perfect life. And I think, It's not really reality. It's actually more of a deception. And it's just a dream that we come into. But when we come to the Bible, what does God have to say about life? John 10 verse 10 says this. I have come, said Jesus, that they may have life and have it to the full, have it in abundance. And he goes on to say in John 17 verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So the Bible clearly teaches that life, real life, is about knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ. But you know what, when we look at Bible characters and the life that they actually live, we see from them that none of their lives were perfect, not for any of them. For instance, look at the life of Joseph. Here is a young boy brought up in a large, wealthy family. He's got lots of brothers. He's got one sister. And he seemed to have everything all right, but there was jealousy amongst the brothers. The brothers didn't like Joseph, so much so that they actually end up selling him as a slave. And Joseph, who was one of the brothers, is now found in Egypt and is now a slave of an Egyptian. And that's not all that happens. The Egyptian master's wife wants him. And she actually makes this claim that Joseph rapes her. And, because, and it was an unjustified and untrue claim. But nevertheless, he gets punished for it and he gets sent to jail. That's Joseph's story. Does that sound like perfection? No, I know the end of the story sounds much better than the beginning. Because at the end of the story, we find Joseph rising up to be second in command of Egypt and helping out Pharaoh in terms of all of the things that were to do with famine but is that what we'd call a perfect life of somebody? You know we've been having some lunchtime bible readings and uh, Monday to Fridays we've been coming together and just recently we've been going through the book of Acts each day looking at a couple of chapters and as we've been going through Acts not only have we seen all the things of the early church but particularly we've been looking at the life of Paul and how he got on And here is a man who was called by God to accomplish the work of God. And yet when we look at his life, we would say it's far from what we would describe as our dream, our perfect life. Paul is converted to following after Jesus when he was on his way to Damascus. He was on his way to Damascus actually to persecute Christians. And yet we find a good number of years after this encounter on the Damascus Road, that Paul himself uh, goes on mission trips to tell other people about Jesus. On the first of these mission trips, he went with somebody called Barnabas, and one of the places he went to was a city called Lystra. There he is. He's preaching in a meeting, and during this meeting, he sees one of the people listening is a man, and he finds out this man has uh, has been lame from birth and has never walked. And Paul, in his spirit, perceives that this man has faith. So he calls out that he might be healed. He says, stand up on your feet. And in front of everybody, this man who had never walked suddenly stands up and is now walking and jumping around. Wow, this is fantastic. Everybody is watching this and saying how fantastic this is. And yet suddenly the people who are watching think, Wow, this Paul and Barnabas, they must be gods. And they think they are Hermes and they think they are Zeus. And they now start to want to come and to offer sacrifices to them because they think they're their gods that have come down amongst them. And Paul and Barnabas are saying, no, 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 we're just human beings. Don't sacrifice to us. We're just human beings as you are. And there's all sorts of controversy going on and difficulty going on. And some Jews come from another place. They stir up the crowd against Paul and against Barnabas and we see that Paul now is being stoned and it says actually in Acts that they carried Paul out of the city thinking he was dead. Is that what we would describe as the perfect life? I don't think so. It sounds quite horrendous. On another one of Paul's missionary trips, on his third missionary trip, Paul is traveling across what we would describe as modern day Turkey or what is modern day Turkey. One day he gets or one night he gets a vision and in this vision he sees a man from Macedonia. Now that is an area which we have now describe as Greece. He sees this man of Macedonia and in the vision he's saying come over to us. Come and help us. The man is begging Paul come over to Macedonia and help us. So Paul senses that God is speaking to him and his accomplice Silas at this time. They travel from Turkey over to Greece And they go, they land, and they go to a a city called Philippi. And here they encounter a slave girl who makes money for her masters by actually telling people's fortunes. But when she sees Paul and Silas, she starts to shout out, these are men of the Most High God. Now that's okay for one day, as it were, but it seemed that every time that Paul and Silas travelled through the city and they saw this girl, she would be shouting out the same thing. These are men of the Most High God. And one day, Paul turns around, and he commands the spirit in this girl to come out, and the spirit leaves her at that moment. Suddenly, the slave girl's owners realise that this girl's uh, method of telling fortunes has now gone, and she can no longer do it. So, in effect, they've lost their income through this girl. They're furious. They call upon the officials, and suddenly, Paul and Silas find themselves being flogged and being thrown into jail is that what we would describe as the perfect life jesus came to give life and yet we see this is the life that paul is living it amazes me when i think about it paul was called by god the man from macedonia in the vision said come over and help us so paul in obedience goes over to help them in macedonia when he gets there It seems that everything seems to fall apart. Nothing quite is going right. And suddenly Paul and his friend Silas are now in jail. They have been severely flogged and they're sitting in chains in jail. Is this the perfect life? Surely Paul should be frustrated. Surely Paul should be annoyed. Surely we would expect Paul to be saying, God, what do you mean by this? Why are you putting us through this? Why are we having to experience all of these things? Surely we might see Paul sort of talking to Silas and saying, I really feel let down. Why? I don't understand why this is happening. All of his best expectations, as it were, were not realised. No, we don't see Paul doing those things. And we know that Paul is not living for luxury or for fame, or for comfort, or for ease, Paul is simply living to do what God wants him to do. He is trusting that God is the one who he has revealed himself to be. The one who loves Paul. The one who cares for Paul. The one who will guide Paul into the right places. The one that has work for Paul to do. And so we read in Acts 16, verse 25, about midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Life is not found in the luxury of our circumstances. Life is found in our relationship with him. And so Paul and Silas, although they're in the midst of prison, although they have been through beatings, they are wanting life from God. And so they are seeking to connect with him by worshipping him and praising him because God is their life source and he is the one they want. That's why during this time of lockdown, we have been preaching and encouraging every one of us to draw closer to God, to seek God, because we need that life that comes only from him in our lives to help us. That is the life that keeps us uh, literally alive. Now, just in case you haven't read the story of Paul and Silas, there they are at midnight in this jail singing hymns, and the other prisoners are looking onto them or listening to them, wondering what on earth's going on. There they are connecting to God. And then it says there was a violent earthquake which caused the prison doors to all fly open. The jailer is so worried that the prisoners have escaped that he comes out and, with a sword is about to try to commit suicide. But Paul calls out to him to calm him down and to say, hey, listen, nobody has escaped. We're all here. The jailer then turns to Paul and Silas and he says, what can I do to be saved? And next we find that Paul and Silas are leading him and his family to no relationship in God. It's almost like the jailer is saying, how can I come to know this God and the life that you have? How can I come to find that life? And so Paul and Silas lead him and his family in that way. Now, this is a great story, but as a story, it doesn't fit into our perfect life dream that we seem to keep falling into in this world in which we live. But, you know, Paul was merely doing this. He was merely walking In God's ways. And whatever is happening around him, he doesn't mind. Because he's trusting in God to look after him. He's not looking at the circumstances that surrounds him. Paul, having gone through this time in Philippi and gone on to other cities, eventually is seeking to travel back home. And on the way back home to Jerusalem, he stops at a port called Miletus, which is uh, in uh, modern day Turkey. And he calls for those church leaders that he has helped to establish in the city of Ephesus and they come down to meet with him. And this is what he says to them when they meet together. Acts 20 verse 17 to 24. He says, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and tears. And in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be useful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Creeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, says Paul, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I find when I'm reading this and when I'm thinking about it, I think, Paul, how did you get to that place? How did you get to that place when you're on a journey home and everybody is saying like, hey, listen, don't go there because we only foresee that there's going to be trials, there's going to be prison, things like that are facing you. You'd almost think like, well, okay, I'm not going to go there. I'll go somewhere else. But not Paul because Paul is just seeking to do what does God want me to do. Wherever he takes me, I will go and I will trust him. Whatever situation I face, I will walk through it. This is where life is to be found. And that is what uh, Paul seeks to do. I want to dispel this idea of there being a perfect life. Because there isn't such a thing as a perfect life. A life where everything is easy. A life where everything is comfortable. Where everything is affordable. Where everything is pain free. But let me tell you this. There is eternal life. There is real life. And that is to be found in relationship with God. As we've already said in John seventeen three. now this is eternal life, that you know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And as we continue in this lockdown, then I want us to, to try to reflect upon Paul and his life, to see what he's been going through. It may seem far away from our perceived perfect life situation of comfort and ease, But he was living a life that was full, a life where he had deep relationship with God. The life that Paul was living was the Christian life. Now, I'm not saying by saying the Christian life that every one of us needs to go to a place like Philippi or to a place like Ephesus. But every Christian needs to have real living relationship with God and through that relationship to find that real life. Just as Paul and Silas were in the jail and everything seemed to be going wrong, yet what did they do? They connected to God so they would find life in him and they were worshipping him and drawing his presence to that very prison. They didn't know what was going to happen next. They just knew that he was looking after them and he was the one to be trusted. We find that so difficult. We let our circumstances overcome us, almost like overtake us. Or rather, we're trying to run away from our circumstances by looking for something that is better elsewhere. And we end up just dreaming for things, not living the way that God wants us to live. There are challenges to that whole idea of a perfect dream life. Jesus said to his disciples, and he says this in Luke 12, verse 15. He says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. If we are honest, we spend a lot of our time trying to accumulate possessions, trying to gain experiences, trying to plan for things so that we can have a perfect life. But Jesus says we need to be watching out and not going after those things, but following him. Again, in Luke, Jesus says this, Luke 16, verse 15. What people value highly is detestable, in God's sight and there's a situation where we are running after things because we think that's what life is all about when actually it's not what God wants us to have he wants us to have relationship with him that is so meaningful it almost doesn't matter what's happening to us so we saw from Paul he was saying like my life counts nothing to me all it needs is that I want to be able to serve the purposes of God that's what really counts the perfect life is a deception of the world and it's a deception that says to us if you get hold of this then you will be happy where James 4 verse 4 says this don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God God says eternal life is found by knowing him and Jesus Christ whom he has sent now the good news is we have somebody to help us in this It's not that we can try and do this on our own strength, but we have the Holy Spirit who comes to us and who will help us. John 16 verses 13 and 14. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because... It is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. The Holy Spirit takes of the things of heaven and makes them known to our hearts. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us. You know, these times are when we're seeking God, trying to come close to him. There's many questions that we have. Often we don't understand, how can I draw near to him? What can I do? And we know for things like worship and we know things like uh, reading our Bibles and praying, we know those things and we do those things but we don't always feel as though we're making that advance in the way that we want. Sometimes we just need to be able to come before God and say, God, I don't know how to go forward. I know that what I see in the scripture and the lives that I see change there, lives like that of the apostle Paul, I see in them something that I don't see in my own life. Lord, please take me to that place. Holy Spirit, will you reveal to me the things that I can't see for myself? Will you lead me in the ways that I do not understand? Will you help me to move forward so that I can trust you and walk with you? We need to have the boldness to ask the Holy Spirit to help us. And he will help us if we come before him and ask him like that. As we seek God, he will come to us as we humble ourselves. And there are various keys that we need to put into place. We need to surrender. It's a strange word, but it means this, that we actually allow somebody else to have power and authority over our lives. As Christians, we want to surrender to God. Surrender means that we no longer trust in ourselves, but we're trusting him to help us. Surrendering is not easy. When you see on on a film where people have been fighting or somebody has been holding out a stronghold, the last thing they want to do is surrender. But when they realise that it's their life at stake, then eventually they say, OK, we surrender. And they surrender over to the people who are trying to capture them. They do that. There is a sense in which we're not surrendering over to an enemy. We're surrendering over to God. And in our lives, we need to learn how to surrender, to lay our lives down. And you know what? Sometimes in my prayer time, I come to a place of saying, Lord, I surrender to you. And then I stop and I think, what am I trying to surrender? Lord, I surrender every fear. I surrender every concern. I surrender the fact that I don't know. I surrender the fact that I don't understand. I surrender everything. I allow you to come. We need to humble ourselves and surrender our lives and allow God to come and do his work in us. You've got to understand God loves you and he wants you to fulfil his purposes. He has sent his Holy Spirit to be in every Christian, to help them and to lead them and to guide them in his ways. So we need to trust the work of the Holy Spirit that as we ask him to come and help us, as time goes on from then, that he will point out various things in our lives and lead us in the way that he wants us to go. Listen, the perfect life is not found in going after the dreams of a bigger house or a bigger car. The perfect life is found in surrendering ourselves to God and giving ourselves to the eternal life that we find in knowing him and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. May God bless you in this week in all that you do. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com